Welcome to worship at Providence Presbyterian Church on this Sunday, October 10th, 2021. We are located at 2401 Broad Avenue. Just a reminder that per capita amount for 2021 is $38.15 per member. The fellowship team is planning a Christmas wreath event on Thursday, October 21st at 1.30 p.m. You are invited to make a Christmas wreath for yourself or to give as a gift, enjoy a light treat, and a small gift to take home. A donation of $5 can be given to Sue Witzel or anyone on the team. Please sign up on the bulletin board in Fellowship Hall by Sunday, October 17th. There will be trunk or treat at our church parking lot on Sunday, October 24th from 3 to 5 p.m. Costumes are encouraged. A sign-up sheet is available in Fellowship Hall for anyone able to decorate the trunk of your car and provide candy to the children in the community. Fresh ideas and working hands are always needed on the outreach team. You are welcome to become a member or perhaps join us in working on a specific event or project. We're looking for additional help in the garden and those willing to host in-home Bible studies. Talk with Jane Yurdy or a member of our team if God is calling you to join us. Now, let us prepare our hearts for worship as we listen to the prelude.
let us begin to worship God by joining in our call to worship. Seek good and not evil. Seek the Lord and live. May the Lord our God be with us. Seek good and not evil, that justice may prevail. May the Lord our God show us grace. Let us pray. You alone are holy, O God. You alone are good. Help us to let go of worldly goods and leave lesser things behind so that we may be ready to enter your holy realm on that day when the first shall be last and the last are first. Through Jesus Christ we pray. Amen. a great high priest who can sympathize with our weakness. Jesus, God's Son, our Savior, therefore with confidence, let us confess our sins. Let us join together in our prayer of confession. God of justice and mercy, we confess that we have put ourselves first and trust in things that will not last. We desire the evil and scorn the good. We gather up power and wealth and push aside the needy in our way. O Lord, be gracious to us in spite of our great sin. Teach us to love your justice and share in your mercy. Help us to seek the treasure of heavenly life with you through Jesus Christ our Savior. Amen. We have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, God's Son, our Savior. In Jesus Christ we are forgiven. Thanks be to God.
we have a great high priest who can sympathize with our weakness, Jesus, God's Son, our Savior. Therefore, with confidence, let us confess our sins. Let us join together in our prayer of confession. God of justice and mercy, we confess that we have put ourselves first and trust in things that will not last. We desire the evil and scorn the good. We gather up power and wealth and push aside the needy in our way. O Lord, be gracious to us in spite of our great sin. Teach us to love your justice and share in your mercy. Help us to seek the treasure of heavenly life with you through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. We have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, God's Son, our Savior. In Jesus Christ we are forgiven. Thanks be to God. Now as we prepare to hear God's word, let us join in our prayer of illumination. Reveal to us your word, O God, living and active in our world by the power of your Spirit. Let your word pierce our hearts and open our minds, divining good from evil, truth from falsehood, life from death. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Our Old Testament reading this morning is taken from the book of Psalms, Psalm 90, verses 12 through 17. Let us hear the word of God. Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Relent, Lord, how long will it be? Have compassion on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your unfailing love, that we may sing for joy and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us, for as many years as we have seen trouble. May your deeds be shown to your servants, your splendor to their children. May the favor of the Lord rest on us. Establish the work of our hands for us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. The Word of God. Our New Testament reading this morning comes from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 10, verse 17 through 31. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good, Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud. Honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all these I have kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go sell everything you have and give it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. All this, the man, at this the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said again, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, with man this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. Then Peter spoke up. 
We have left everything to follow you. Truly, I tell you, Jesus replied, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive homes, sisters, brothers, children, and fields, along with persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. For many who are first will be last, and the, the last will be first. The Gospel of the Lord. May God bless to us these readings from his word. May he use them to change our hearts and lives. Amen. Today we return to the Gospel of Mark to a somewhat familiar passage from chapter 10, the story of the rich young ruler. It says that Jesus was going out into the way. Well, the word way for the early Christians was a way of talking about the way of life. Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem where he would be crucified. Jesus on, is on his way to give his life, but this man is asking how to receive life. It was only recently that Jesus said, whoever wants to save his life will lose it, and whoever will lose his life for my sake and the sake of the good news will save it. It says, one ran to him and knelt before him. Mark identifies him only as a man who had many possessions and mentions his possessions only in at the conclusion of the story, the encounter. Matthew says that he is young, and Luke identifies him as a ruler. He says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? The prize he seeks is eternal life, and is mentioned frequently in the Gospel of John. In the Synoptic Gospels, Matthew and Mark and Luke, usually the word is to receive the kingdom of God, but the term eternal life is used much more often in the Gospel of John, but here it's used in the book of the Gospel of Mark. The man asked what he must do to inherit eternal life. Now, as a rich man, he understands inheritances. The law spells out inheritance. The firstborn receives two shares. The other sons one share. This rich young man surely knows those laws, like the back of his hand. Now he wants to know the law regarding eternal life. What must he do to inherit eternal life? What are the requirements? The Old Testament often uses the word inherit or inheritance in relation to God and God's people. He says, what shall I do? What must he do to inherit eternal life? He's already doing the right things, but for the wrong reasons. He's less interested in serving God than figuring out how to get God to serve him. The man's question also reveals that he has misunderstood the relationship between his own works and God's grace. He has been rich in this life, and he wants to extend his prosperity to eternity. Perhaps he is anxious to ensure that he hasn't failed at some unknown point. Perhaps he is looking for reassurance. Perhaps he is just looking for a pat on the back. Keep up the good work. In any event, we can be sure that he does not expect Jesus to lay a significant new requirement on him. 
he is surprised and we along with him that Jesus rebukes the man for calling him good teacher. The man came running. He felt an urgency to receive advice from Jesus. Now to ask his question. Nothing in his manner suggests that he's being dishonest or trying to trap Jesus. However, the Jews understand that God is good and avoid using the word good for people lest they become guilty of blasphemy. Jesus is indeed good, but he points this man to God's goodness. You know the commandments, Jesus says. Now, we are surprised to hear Jesus connect the commandments and eternal life. Hasn't Jesus ushered in the, the dispensation of grace? Doesn't faith trump obedience to the law? But here we see Jesus signing five commandments, which are known as the second table of the Decalogue, and one that is not part of the original ten, all having to do with human relationships. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not give false testimony, honor your father and mother. And then he says, do not defraud, which is not part of the Ten Commandments. Jesus, for some reason, you know, instead of saying what the Tenth Commandment was, do not covet here for the expression, do not defraud. Now, he may have, you know, part of it is the rich man is less likely to covet the possessions of others than he is to defraud people in his pursuit of further wealth. The rich man responds, Teacher, I have observed these things since the time of my youth. Now, Jesus doesn't answer his challenge, his answer. I'm, we're sure this young man has been meticulous and he believes that he's kept the commandments. However, we note that Jesus had not mentioned the first ta table of the uh, Ten Commandments. The he doesn't mention the first commandment, which says, You shall have no other gods before me. Nor the second, you shall not make for yourselves an idol. Nor the third, which says, do not take the name of Yahweh your God in vain. Or the fourth, which says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. And strictly speaking, he hasn't mentioned the 10th commandment, which says, do not covet your neighbor's house. You should not covet your neighbor's wife, nor his male servant, nor his female servant, nor his ox or donkey or anything else that is your neighbor's. As noted before, Jesus May you know instead it substituted the term "do not defraud," for you shall not covet. And yet we need to note this change, because the tenth commandment, we tend to think of it as speaking of human relationships one to another, but it also speaks to the first four commandments, because you know if we covet other things, then we're giving them a greater importance. And sometimes we allow them to fill the God space in our lives. And so in a sense, a violation of the 10th commandment is also a violation of the first and second commandments, making a God of material possessions. So it seems that in verse 19, Jesus listed only the commandments that this rich man would find easy. The man says he has kept them. And he may have, but commandments having to do with his relationship with God represent a higher level of discipleship, one where this man is deficit. Now, Jesus tells the man that he must what he must do to bring himself into compliance with the first and second commandments. It says, now Jesus, looking at him, loved him. Now, this tells us two things. 
he says that the man didn't come to Jesus as so many powerful men did, trying to find a chink in Jesus' honor. He didn't come trying to trap Jesus. Second, Jesus saw that the man's heart was pure and felt a genuine affection for him. He was giving the man a genuine opportunity to choose the road that leads to life. And he hoped that man would do that that this man would do just that. Jesus had, you know, he Jesus had emptied himself, poured himself out when he came to earth. While he displayed this unusual ability to read people's hearts, there is no reason to assume that he here was being omnipotent. One thing you lack, Jesus said, go sell what you have and give to the poor, and you will find, have treasure in heaven. And come follow me, taking up the cross. This was and is a shocking call to discipleship, especially shocking in a culture that assumed that riches constituted endorsement of God of the rich person's life. This man had probably gone through his life believing that he had tried to please God, that his riches demonstrate that God is pleased with him. The call is also shocking when contrasted with other calls to discipleship found in the gospel. In most cases, Jesus said to people, simply, come, follow me. There is no record of Jesus requiring the fishermen to sell their boats. Simon and Andrew kept their house. Mary and Martha also owned her house. There's no mention of Levi, the tax collector, giving up his ill-gotten gains, although it seems likely that he would have done so. Several wealthy, wealthy people came, became disciples without divesting themselves of their wealth. So why then should Jesus demand such a sacrifice from this man? Well, there are at least two possibilities. As the story reveals, this man's wealth is very important to him perhaps maybe even more important than the eternal life he says he seeks. The security afforded by material possessions tempts us to trust in possessions rather than in God. You know, it's not saying that having riches is sinful. It's that when you have riches, you're tempted to put your trust in riches to take care of you rather than trusting in God. On the flip side of it, it sometimes seems that God is especially, you know, in favor of the poor. And yes, he does make mention of our need to care for the poor. But just because a poor person is, you know, poor, that doesn't mean necessarily that they're going to trust in God. It's just when you have nothing to depend on except Jesus, it's easier to trust in Jesus alone. Note, too, that the story falls, is fall, falls immediately after the story of the children, where Jesus said, Most certainly I tell you, whoever will not receive the kingdom of God like a child, he will in no way enter into it. This rich man is quite unlike those children. They were poor, but he is rich. They were dependent, but he is not. They had no status or power, but he has both. They had no security apart from those who care for them. But the rich man is quite secure in his own right. Perhaps Jesus is simply requiring the rich man to become like a child before God, to strip himself of those things that provide him security, that he might find his security in God. It's quite possible that Jesus ta tailored this requirement to sell everything, especially for this man. 
to meet his particular spiritual needs. We shall not, however, imagine that Jesus does not ask something equally difficult of us. It says that this the man's face fell and he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. The man was shocked at the price tag that Jesus placed on eternal life. We too should be shocked when we hear the story. The only grace that doesn't cost us is for the children who have nothing to give. The rest of us can expect Jesus to make painful demands of us. It says next that all things are possible with God. Jesus states in verse 23 and then restates in verse 24, perplexing the disciples. They have been taught that a wealth is a sign of God's approval. Excuse me. So how can it be difficult for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God? As he does so often, Jesus stands the conventional religious thinking on its head, turning everything upside down and inside out. No wonder the disciples are perplexed. Jesus says it is easier for a camel to go through a needle's, a needle's eye than it is for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Now, people often try to soften Jesus' words here. One idea is the word in Greek that's translated camel is very similar to the Greek word for rope. And so the idea is what Jesus is saying here. It's easier for a rope to go through the eye of a needle. Or the, some have said that the eye of the needle was a low gate in the city wall that required a camel to be unloaded before proceeding on its knees through the opening. But there's no evidence that such a gate existed in Jesus' day. Now, actually, what Jesus is saying here is hyperbole. He's talking about the largest animal known to them at that day and the smallest opening known to them. He's, in a sense, you could say that Jesus is almost making a joke here. I mean, he's serious. But he's trying to, to say in a lighthearted way that, you know, hey, this is an impossibility. He says, literally, uh, he says he wants to he, he, he take it seriously. It's a word of judgment, not just for the rich man, but for all of us. But he's saying it in a lighthearted way that it's impossible for us on our own to be saved. Well, the disciples respond, with, well, then who can be saved? I mean, if this decent, God-fearing, law-abiding man whom god has blessed with riches cannot be saved who can so jesus makes what he's been saying more uh just plain by saying with man and it is impossible but not with god for all things are possible with god apart from grace this decent god-fearing law-abiding man has no hope only by god's grace is there any possibility then he can enter the kingdom of god the same is true for all of us our challenge is to accept our status as little children before God. We are penniless and hopeless except for God's grace. So this passage also warns us of the seductiveness of wealth. We might imagine that we are in no danger because we're poor or middle class. However, most of us are wealthy by the standards of most of the world. I mean, people who have moved in the fat last year can understand better than many of us how many, just how, how many possessions we really have. It's also true that we need not to be wealthy 
to have our hearts and our souls consumed by thoughts of money. You don't have to have money to covet money. We're all in danger of loving money more than we love God. Now at this point, Peter, who is often the spokesperson for all the disciples, speaks up and he says to Jesus, look, excuse me, look, we have left everything and follow you. Peter and the other disciples have already done what Jesus told this rich man to do. They have sacrificed everything to follow Jesus. Peter's implied question is, will we receive any reward? Jesus makes it clear that those who sacrifice for his sake will be re rewarded both now and in eternity. He says that those, no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or wife or children or land for my sake, for the sake of the good news, but he will receive 100 times as much now in this time, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children in our land with persecutions in the age to come eternal life. Now, we would expect Jesus to reward us for bad things, addictions, bad habits, seductive things like fame and fortune. But the things that he mentions in verse 29 are all quite positive. It's possible for even good things to stand between us and Christ. The list of blessings Jesus says in verse 30 parallels the list of sacrifices in verse 29 with one exception. The word father is conspicuously absent. You know, the Christian leaves father, leaves houses, brothers and sisters, or mother, uh, and, you know, but there's no need for another father, for God is our father. Jesus says that we will receive rewards for faith here and now. And then he says, with persecution. Jesus interjects a surprising word here, persecutions. Christians can never be completely comfortable in this world because the gospel that we preach runs counter to the values of this world. Mark's church experienced persecutions, and Christians are still persecuted around the world today. Jesus concludes by reassuring Peter, many who are first will be last and the first last first. The kingdom of God, the person who loves God will be first and the person who loves money will be last. The person who takes care of an alien neighbor will be first. The person who takes care of number one will be last. What we see is not all that what we can expect to get once God's great reversal takes place. Amen. Now let us join together in the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, seven under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence she shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen.
As followers of Jesus, we are called to give ourselves for others, as Jesus has given himself for us. With gratitude for God's grace, let us offer our lives to the Lord. God of glorious power and wisdom, how can we number your countless gifts? Look upon our lives with favor, and by the gift of your grace, prosper the work of our hands. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, let us prepare our hearts for prayer. I say, God of mercy, join me with the words, be gracious to us. Father God, as we come before you this day, I am thankful for the people of this congregation, for their willingness to sacrifice of themselves to serve you. To They could be doing many other things this morning but they made up their mind that they would come and worship here. And for their faith, I give you thanks. Now we pray for peace among the nations, food for the hungry, and justice for the poor, and a life of dignity of all people. God of mercy, be gracious to us. We pray for new life in the church, fresh energy and mission, faithfulness in ministry and the reconciliation in the body of Christ. God of mercy, be gracious to us. We pray for the welfare of this community of Altoona, for safe streets and homes, good schools and jobs, and a spirit of love among neighbors. God of mercy, be gracious to us. We pray for the healing of all who suffer, comfort the afflicted, be hope for the despairing, and strength for those who care for them. We pray, O God of mercy, be gracious to us. O God, in whom all things are possible, we commend these prayers to you, commit our lives to seek your will. Through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. Now, as our Savior Christ has taught us, we are bold to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever. Amen.
Jesus says, Come, follow me. Let us seek the Lord and live. Amen. Now may God, the first and the last, the beginning and the end, the Alpha and Omega, be with you now and forever. Hallelujah. Amen. We thank you for worshiping with us today. We hope you have been blessed and God has been glorified. May you have a God-blessed week. We look forward to you joining us again next Sunday and invite your friends to listen. Music